Hi, I'm John Plesnick, and welcome to Train the Church, where we talk about training men for ministry in the context of the local church. This podcast is produced by Faith Bible Church in Murrieta, California, where I'm a pastor. Joining me today is Chris Mueller and Nigel Shaler, who also serve as pastors at Faith Bible Church. You know, excited to be here, John, again, talking about training, a real passion. Excited to be here with you guys, too. This is going to be a great time together. I hope so. Together, we lead the Training Center, a three-year program of biblical training for laymen set in the context of the local church. And today, we want to talk about what is the ideal training environment. What's the target we should be shooting for? Is the goal to have this full-fledged accredited seminary? Do you need a staff with doctorates in order to train ministry? And what should the training program's connection be to a church? And what do you do if the church isn't particularly healthy? We want to wrestle with those questions today. Uh, Together, uh, we three have been on pretty much every continent except Antarctica, I think, uh, and visiting, teaching, encouraging pastors who are committed to training men. Uh, We've been in seminary buildings, churches, pastors' homes, commercial property, a wide variety of locations. And so, Nigel, in all those places, what would would you say that the actual building matters for where ministry training occurs? Well, no, of course not. Uh, Not all of those places we've been to have buildings. Uh, No, it's not about the building. It's about the context, the environment for training ministry, which is going to be the local church. That's what we're looking for. A local church where men can practice uh, what they're learning in ministry training. And so that's so important. You know, I think the environment's a lot bigger than just the, the physical building in the sense of it's a mentality that you carry into the training process. And so I think the simplest way to say it is that can we be like Christ? Can we do what he did? Everything he said was perfect, everything he did was perfect. So his training process was as he went through life and as he served and ministered and carried on his public ministry, he had his men with him. And they went through every element of life, not just the things that we have written in the gospels, but everyday life, cooking, eating, fellowshipping, and the rigmaroles of washing laundry, etc. All that had to be a part of what they were doing together. And so he was modeling for his men in that process. And if the church can actually capture that mentality of we're looking at this more than just a discipleship process, more than just an educational process, we're actually trying to train them and model for them in a similar fashion. Now, we'll never get to where Christ was, but we can get to a point where we're more involved in their lives, in every aspect of their lives, not just giving them a curriculum. That's probably the most common question that I get about training. Show me your curriculum. And that's a huge part of it, but it is not the only part of it, and it's not the end of training. So the building itself is not necessarily the you know, the goal here or the facility, it's actually the mentality of what we are trying to do here is to train men to be like Christ and to do it as close as we can to the modeling of Christ. Okay, so, I mean, we said this a little bit earlier, the books don't matter that much, it's secondary. You're saying that the building, the actual location doesn't matter that much, that, that's in a sense probably tertiary. And then you're saying, Chris, you're talking about the way we train needs to be modeled on Christ. If we're talking an environment, how is that distinct from location? What, what do you mean? What, what's the training environment? What are we encapsulating when we're talking about that then? 
Yeah, we want to have guys who can receive instruction and coaching from us. That's part of the equation. But then we want them to have avenues in which to put those things that they learn in, into practice. So they need, they need to have uh, ministries or at least a local church involvement that gives them an outlet so they can go out and, and put those things into practice and we can watch them do it. We can give them evaluation. We can see where they're doing well and uh, where they need to make improvements and tweak their ministry. And, uh, and then that way, uh, the church has benefited also from the whole training uh, task. Uh, that's really important and it's good for us too because that means they're adding to the ministry that we're a part of and uh, we get to do ministry together we get to watch them they get to watch us and uh, and provide critique all along the way yeah so we're we're talking about that it's not just you're lecturing at people but you're, as Chris said, you're walking alongside life with people, and then you're adding in that in order for proper, helpful, constructive training to happen, there needs to be an outlet for them to, to do and use and practice that ministry. I, mean, I think with Christ, he sent them out to do ministry at different times and essentially uh, being able to practice some of the things that they'd been learning and find their own shortcomings and strengths and weaknesses what else would you add to that overall description of environment, Chris? Well, I think some of the things that we <clears throat> need to add into our understanding or our mentality as we approach training is you would say preaching and teaching and modeling and discipling and shepherding and ministry and life and home and every element of that person's life. And if you're training laymen, their work and a lot of the other dynamics that are involved in their everyday life, that all of that is a part of that. Some think, well, that's discipleship. Well, you're also modeling. You're also teaching them. You're also coming alongside of them. You're mentoring them. You're correcting them. You're watching them in ministry. You're taking them with you when you go on a trip together. You're constantly trying to invest in every element of their lives. Christ, when he trained his men, he wasn't just interested in giving them the content. He was actually interested in demonstrating his character and his convictions and his passions and what he prioritized and what he didn't prioritize and the internal heart response versus the externals. And there's a multiplicity of things that are a part of this process. It's a lot bigger than just having a class and giving them a course of material. It's actually not just your life, but multiple lives. Now, a lot of the guys that are involved in training, they tend to look at this as a solo environment. You know, they're the senior pastor of a small church. They've got to pour into these men. And so it becomes very individualistic. And we would say, listen, make it as corporate as you possibly can. Get the men to mentor each other. Get other people in the context of the church involved in the process get a multiplicity of uh, exposure for the men in their ministries as well as our investment into their lives in a multiplicity of different ways. I, I remember even in the early days of ministry trying to visit my elders at their workplace just to see them in that environment and to invest into them into that process to help them to grow and to become more like Christ so that there's nothing that's really hidden Everything is open before the Lord. Everything's in this process of trying to invest and train. Hmm. Can effective ministry training happen without connection to a local church? Well, the interesting thing about that question is, yes, it can to some degree, 
but I think that if you understand what Christ did, the person of Christ in bodily form trained his men, and now he's given us the local church, which is now the physical manifestation of Christ, to train. It's not just a solo effort. Now, it may need to be initiated by one or two or three leaders, uh, people who are genuinely committed to this process, but when they really understand the process, the entire local church should be involved in that, in growing those men to become more like Christ. The multiplicity of spiritual gifts, every them demonstrating different elements of Christ's character, having that men grow to be a part of not only that body, but growing to be more like Christ through that process of ministry, of shepherding, of interaction, of one anothering that's all a part of the local church. And so it is somewhat defeating to say, well, does a church, is a church necessary to do this? When really the design of Christ was that the local church would be central in that process. And so, yes, it has to happen, but can it happen outside that? Of course, Navigators proves that there's discipleships outside the context of, of a local church, you know, where these men are mentored uh, ship to ship and, you know, by other mentors, that kind of thing. Uh, it can occur, but the real strength of training is that every element of the local church is kind of being brought to bear upon that man and, uh, and then equipped so that he can become more of what God designed him to be. I think uh, a guy can go off to Bible college and, or even seminary and find some mentors and some people that invest in him. Certainly in that setting, he's going to receive a lot of the content and he'll be educated in theology and, and uh, ministry theory. Uh, and that's a good thing. We're not saying that's bad. But eventually that man's going to come back into a local church setting where he's going to have to put all that into practice. And, and in many ways, the training continues as he gets back and he's going to make mistakes. And, and what's sad is sometimes he'll make those mistakes with any kind, without any kind of oversight or encouragement or help. And, um, and he's learning along the way, uh, but... The, ch the whole church can be impacted in yeah. negative ways. And so what we're trying to do is, is bring that whole training process together in a holistic way and do all of that at the same time with oversight and uh, care and encouragement along the way. I think I want to be that guy that says that training can occur in any situation with any guy in, in any environment. But ideally, it's going to be interconnected to the local church. And the more it's immersed in the local church and the local church is involved in that process in every element, I think it's just stronger. That's all. It's just a, a greater capacity for the man to become all that Christ intended him to be. And again, uh, seminaries are great and they're absolutely essential. And Bible colleges too. I'm, this is not in minimizing. I want to applaud anybody who's about this process because so little of it occurs today. At the same time, I would say the greater the involvement of the local church in the process, the greater the man's gonna grow, and to have every element of his life, in a sense, shaped the way that Christ wanted it to be in order for him to be the most competent tool he can be. And so I think even the stronger seminaries are the ones that are interconnected to a local church. Um, so that's why I favor the, the ones that I do and the one that I do. But ultimately, it's, it's this process that Christ intended his church to be a part of that process. It's not just a man. It's 
multiplicity of the body of Christ doing this process. And that's how Christ set it up. Right, because every, not every man has all of the gifts that Christ has given the church. It's necessary uh, for believers to see the, the diversity of gifts that are manifesting Christ, evident in the church, and they get a clearer picture of who Christ is and are more even able to figure out their own gifts and strengths when they're able to see that in diversity rather than singularly manifest in an individual man. You know, <clears throat> what's interesting, too, is that sometimes... Uh, because we try to involve the local church in this process, there's a slight accusation that comes our way a little bit, of like you minimize the pulpit. And that's actually the opposite. We, we actually want to esteem the pulpit. The pulpit's got to be accurate. It's got to teach authorial intent. It's got to go through books of the Bible. It's got to be expositional. It has to be strong, 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 strong. But that's not the end of training. And we see that again, one more time, in 2 Timothy, where it's preach the word, chapter 4, but in chapter 2, it's train faithful men who will be able to train others also. This process needs to be engaged within the context of the local church as much as possible, and that doesn't minimize. If you don't have a strong pulpit, you got nothing. At the same time, you should be committed to this process of training and investing within the context of the local church, which is a huge responsibility. It's not easy. When would you say that a church is right to send a man away from themselves for further training? In other words, how, do you, how does a church figure out, like, we've kind of hit our limit for what we can pour into this man in order for him to become all that God wants him to be? Well, that's a great question. I think on the, on the young end, we try not to make a lot of investment into 18, 19-year-olds. We kind of wait a couple of years before they you know, in a sense, grow up a little bit, they get a little bit more life under their belt, so they're capable of actually responding to some of the things that we're talking about when it comes to shepherding and pastoral ministry, etc. So it's not necessarily works at the low end. So when a, a student wants to go away to a Bible college, master's college, whatever, that that's a, a real positive thing, that they could get some Bible education exposed to a different elements of life, which is fine. When it comes to the older side or men who already are, in a sense, a little bit more mature, then that investment um, becomes a little bit more refined. I'd like to see a guy who's actually proven that he should be set apart to be a pastor teacher, uh, proven that he's already competent in shepherding and in ministry and in some of the elements of what a pastor is supposed to do, that that's the men that we send away to seminary because when they know they're supposed to go there and get additional training refined so they can be that man who brings forth God's word in an accurate manner and be able to teach sound doctrine to a church family and a church body, they're already prepared. They're already competent to be able to get into that process. And it doesn't become where they're trying to figure it out. Seminary is very expensive, and that process should be cautiously entered into in the sense of saying not just send anybody who wants to go, but have a man who's actually proven himself, a man who has manifested the gifts, has the approval of uh, the leadership of a church, has the affirmation of fruit being produced, and all the gifts necessary to pull that off. I think that's really important before we send a guy away. And so in answer to your question, I think it's great to send them. I think we need to send them, but we need to send the right guys, the men who are set apart to be those pastor teachers and men who will fill pulpits. Right. In that case, what you're talking about is a church that's relatively healthy but doesn't have the people internal in order to give uh, a man who's headed into a pulpit uh, 
sufficient knowledge of the original languages of systematic theology and depth in some of those regions where it's just outside the scope of what that church is able to do. I think there's another category of church, though, where their limits of what they're able to invest into a man hmm. is even lower, potentially. And so <clears throat> it seems like there comes a point when every church hits and says, in order for this man to be what God wants him to be, you have to say, are we able to make him that? Uh, do we have the resources, the people, the gifts on our staff, uh, on our team, internal, in order to adequately equip him for the things that God has called him to do? Yeah, in those settings, and you especially see that uh, overseas on the mission field, what you can do is find maybe a, small, a series of smaller churches or a, a ministry partnership uh, like that, where churches can get together and pool resources, pool their uh, their pastors, those who are doing the equipping, and kind of share that load of training amongst those churches. Mm. Think about Expositor Seminary, which even does that in the states. Mm-hmm. You know, a collection of churches that are with that same aim of working together. For sure, but the, the cornerstone thing about up that north, is the, yeah. those. Uh, those disciples, uh, those being trained for ministry, are still in the context of that local church. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're getting some exposure to other churches as well, which can be beneficial mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, I like that element of sharing resources, of pulling in everything you can. Uh, I like the idea of keeping them interconnected to their local church, the one that they know, the people that know them. I am discomforted by just the random sending of men. At the same time, sometimes it's necessary. At some point, there's just no other resources. And so, yeah, you get to that point where you're like, well, if this man is going to grow further and reestablish or establish his giftedness and direction, then he might have to be sent away. And that's a loss to that church, uh, but it's important in that process of truly sending them and uh, truly uh, investing into them for their future, for the future of the kingdom. Again, not all about your own local church. One of the things you don't want to do is have a guy in the church that you want to send somewhere else to be fixed. (laughs) You you pass on your troubled guys or men. You speak as if we've had that happen to us. (laughs) No, you don't send them off to be fixed. I don't think you send them off either to just grow personally in in a Christian walk. That's not the purpose. What we want to do is identify those who really are going to have a future in ministry and uh, those that we really want to invest in. We keep a confidence because we've seen them in the life of the church and uh, we know that this is going to be a good investment. Hmm. Chris, I've heard you talk uh, often about the qualities that a church needs to have in order for it to be effective in training men for ministry. Uh, What would you say are some of the most important things that needs to be manifest in a church? Well, Churches today, uh, again, sometimes are so committed to the truth in a, in a very positive way that they've negated the natural functioning of uh, a healthy local church in its ecclesiology when it comes to the multiplicity of spiritual gifts. And so having an environment where there's a multiplicity of gifts that are all functioning in service, there's an expectation of service within the context of the church, there's an expectation of mutual investment 
where there is intentional relationships for the purpose of growth in Christ, discipleship that's going on and ongoing that's a part of that process to develop that. There needs to be really a kingdom mentality that this is not about just us as a church, but also we're trying to equip men to be able to be effective servants elsewhere. And not that we're saying we're preparing you to be leaving, but we know that in the context of providence and God's sovereignty, that men are going to be leaving at points and effective elsewhere. Uh, To see laymen who leave, who become the super effective one lay guy that a pastor can count on in some little town in Texas, which is a great joy to us. And so that process of a larger playing field, you know, that God's in charge and he knows what he's doing and you're investing into these people for his purposes, that has to be present as well. And just a real sense of that everyone's committed to that overall process, that it's not just the leadership who's training, but the whole body senses an involvement in that process, that they're investing into uh, even the wives of men Uh, the older godly women who are investing in that process to encourage those families to be strong and to be able to function overseas or somewhere else, uh, that's also necessary. So a real hunger to learn, a real hunger to be trained, a real hunger to be figuring out how God's put me together so my unique contribution to the kingdom is emphasized, my weaknesses are shored up so that they don't become anchors or uh, disqualifiers, etc., and so I'm preparing for whatever happens, and the, the church is actually a part of that. So I think, you know, again, giftedness, one anothering, healthy local church when it comes to uh, taking the Lord seriously but not ourselves, a, 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 an ability to have weaknesses exposed and every ele- element of your life exposed. Many churches, it's holiness is so important, which it is, but it's so important nobody wants to talk about their failures. Nobody wants to talk about how they sin or struggle or what, what, what they're battling. Well, you can't really train a man unless there's that openness. There's a willingness to have weaknesses exposed so that they can be shored up or they can be built up. And so all of that's an element of, well, as well in that training process. Hmm. Let me ask the same question just a slightly different way and just to see if there's anything you'd add. If there was a man who was desiring training in his local church, what are the things that you would tell him, ah, you might need to find a different church to be trained in because this church isn't doing X? Yeah, I mean, you want to be trained up in a church that has sound theology, uh, a strong pulpit, uh, elders that lead with integrity, uh, elders that, uh, that are unified, and are settled on the doctrine and direction. I think you want to be in a church where the philosophy of ministry is agreed upon and everyone knows where they're going. It's got to be foundational things, a real priority on the word. Uh, Take those away and training really is going to lose its direction altogether. And I think I would add, again, what Nigel said first, which is uh, doctrine. You can tell a lot about where a man is at, and if he's dogmatically committed to a different direction or a different hermeneutic, which leads him to different conclusions in his theology, it can be very difficult to train a man in that arena. And so part of the reason we ask our guys where they're at, not just doctrinally, but also on the doctrinal practical issues, 
is so that we don't run into that you know halfway through the process we're asking them constantly where are they at many of them respond with i haven't studied that yet which then we take as a mandate to make them study some of those issues because we wanted to be on the same page and typically now at our church because training has been such a part of our life that they know what our philosophy of ministry is but when they go elsewhere we're trying to prepare them even as we train them that there are different directions that churches go different priorities that they manifest and as a result of that, you might not find yourself really with a fit. And so that's, that's just a delicate process that we're trying to see. And if a guy's saying, well, I want this church to be, you know, doing these five things, and, and really that's not a part of the direction that you see manifested in the New Testament, nor that our church is actually pursuing that aggressively, that that's not really a distinctive, that's going to put them a little bit out of step. Now, they might be encouraging us to become a more what we're supposed to be, but for the most part, what happens is a, a guy has a, an exposure to something in the past that's really maybe not a biblical priority, and we're saying, you know what, we're not going to be emphasizing that element of ministry. So when a guy's really out of step doctrinally, really out of step directionally or philosophically, that's going to make it really hard to train him. For a pastor or an elder who's in a church and is thinking about starting a training ministry, if the foundations aren't there, Nigel expressed, right, in terms of their handling of the word, their preaching, their eldership, their unity, their character, if those things aren't there, clearly work on those. <laughs> Not just work on those, but you know, pursue rapid change. If there is areas where the church doesn't have a defined discipleship approach, they don't really have a platform for somebody who's being trained <clears throat> to minister their gifts. Do they need to delay the launch of their training program, or can they go forward? No. <clears throat> it's like to start. It's like Chicken or egg, which one? Yeah, you can't delay. I mean, you, you, we make disciples. You know, we're, Discipleship we're, is different than training, though. That's true, but we're going to be investing in the future. Listen, you... If you don't have some kind of goal in mind or investment in the next generation of men coming through, then the future's not looking bright. So you've got to give your life to this, to the best of your ability uh, in, in the time that you have. Now, it's not maybe not perfect, and uh, the, all the elements may not be there, but you start somewhere, mm -hmm. and then you try to add as you go along. I'm thinking about the guy out in a, you know, another country, he doesn't have a good eldership, he doesn't have really, you know, the doctrine's really been well-defined, there's a, a really just real immaturity on a lot of different fronts in the church, and it's going to be absolutely necessary, absolutely crucial that he obey the command of 2 Timothy chapter 2, the train faithful men, and that would be the process of discipleship along with preaching, teaching, investing, modeling, all the things that we just talked about. Because the only way he's going to turn that ship or strengthen that boat, so to speak, so that it, it sails well, is that he's going to have to do that. And that's where you begin to build into these men. You pour your life into them, and you give them a good doctrine. You establish the way that approach the Word of God. You show them a sound hermeneutic. You give them sound doctrine. You do all those things that are lacking in the context of the church, and they begin to influence the church family to become more of what they're supposed to be. That's how you really do change. You, you can preach the Word on that, but you're really not going to get complete buy-in until you train those men and until you disciple those men in that process. Uh, there are a lot of churches really committed to a sound pulpit, 
and they just quite don't turn the corner when it comes to solidity. And it, again, an effective pulpit, but not necessarily that everybody's coming under the word until there's that life on life. And, and you see that modeled in the New Testament. You know, Paul talking about doctrine, and yet he said, we gave you our very lives. We extended ourselves that way. There's that relational investment that's a part of the means of grace to train them. And so you got to start. you got to get that pouring your life into those men, and then you're going to see less and less men tossed to and fro through the context of ministry. Yeah, I just finished a biography of John Knox, uh, which was outstanding, but it, one of the things I learned about him is that he equipped a generation of Scottish preachers, hmm. and he did it in the midst of a context of heavy persecution uh, from uh, the state and the Catholic Church and political unrest. It was amazing, and he did it by dragging them along with him as well as providing instruction. Uh, he, he did it in a really what, what we would consider an unhealthy church environment, but he equipped men. Then he went to Geneva during uh, one of those times of intense persecution, and he saw a healthier church in a stable area where there had been long-term investment by Calvin and others. And when he saw that, he called it, what, the most perfect school of Christ that ever existed. Hmm. And why was that? It's because he saw men, tons of men by Calvin, being trained for ministry, but in the context of a healthy church. Yeah. And I just think that that church environment matters so much. And so often, pastors want to train men for ministry, but they do it without giving much thought to the overall health of their church. I would agree with that. I, Calvin also did some really unusual thing. He had men live with him. Uh, part of that was economic, <laughs> that they could just afford to live. But part of it was also the direct investment into those men. And then he actually had these men follow around with him as he did his pastoral duties and would mentor them through that process. Knox was the same. And yeah. so what they did is they began to pour their lives and modeled this and, and instructed and did all the elements that we're talking about here when it comes to training. And again, I, we just got to get back to that process. And so, again, if your church is not facilitated, it's not strong, it doesn't seem ready for it, it really just takes a man to say, I'm going to be committed to invest into men. I highly recommend, you know, try to get five, try to get seven. You know, if you get two guys and then one of them drops out, you've got one, and it's really not going to be able to carry a movement with one man. You can't wait for the perfect conditions, can you? You've got to start somewhere. Uh, the church in Ephesus was not a perfect church, and yet Paul told them that God had given pastors and, and um, evangelists to equip the saints to do the works of service. This is a command. This is a mandate. We have to go after it regardless of the current church status. Uh, I know that's our heart and our goal. I hope uh, for those listening that today's been helpful to you, encouraging you to give more thought to the overall church environment uh, and setting that training happens in. Next episode, we're going to talk about the variety of methods that men use to train men and uh, give some consideration to the strengths and weaknesses of each one. That should drop next week. If you hit the subscribe button on your podcast player, it will automatically download future episodes of our show for you. And we'd love it if you would leave a review on iTunes. Both of those things help people to find us. If you want to learn more about Faith Bible Church and the Training Center, you can find us at www.faith-bible.net. If you want to reach out personally with a question, you can find uh, contact info on that website for us. And uh, we hope you join us again. Until next time, keep investing into the church.